Good morning. That was um, some just beautiful harmonies we were getting there on that worship session there. Um, so well done to everyone involved there. Thank you. Um, so it doesn't seem that long ago that I was up here last time telling you all about Luke's favourite um, TV show. And uh, if any blank faces around, you missed out on a treat. Um, and uh, plus a whole load of baby photos, because I couldn't resist, really. Um, Luke's here again this morning, and um, he's going to be very confused today, uh, because I am again talking about Luke, but this time it's the book in the Bible. And um, if I can have the slides up, we're going to be looking at um, Luke um, chapter 2. And um, verses 1 to 40 is the kind of section that I've got. It seems like I'm being blinded by lights at the moment. So if I'm squinting like this to try and see you guys, it's because I really, really can't with the way that the lights are in my face at the moment. So um, trying to take a um, whole chapter of a book and expand on it in 20 minutes, which is my time limit, is uh, beyond me, definitely. Um, so I'm just going to go through some edited highlights. And um, I really like the book of Luke. I really like Acts as well, which is like the sequel to it. Um, I like them so much, I actually, you know, that was a big influence in naming Luke Luke. Um, the other Luke that he was partly named after was Skywalker, but we won't go into that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I am, I am a geek. I am a geek of all sorts of different things. And I'm, I'm a Bible geek. I'm also a, a sci-fi geek. But it... You know, that's just me, I'm afraid. It's the way God made me. But let's jump in, and uh, we're going to have a little look at uh, some of these things. So um, I should be able to get that to transfer, if I get this on, just like that. Perfect. Okay. Um, so it starts off like this. It's going to be very familiar uh, to most of us. So it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Let's try that again. Imagine if it was just Hollywood and how they would do it. It'd be like, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This, I, can't, I can't do that the whole way through. You'll be glad to know. It just, it's not me. Um, but that's what Hollywood would do. And they would be right to do that because Caesar Augustus was the kind of person that you should do that voice for. Um, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and it was like, he's one of the most controversial uh, figures um, uh, in history. Um, Yes, he was. He kind of took Rome, he says, from a city of... Whoops, I forget. When I do it on here, it doesn't do it there. From a city of bricks um, and left it a city of marble. Well, they were just his words. Um, But look, uh, this is what he owned at the time saying, you know, he's, he's fairly, fairly important figure in history. Um, and he was um, leading most of the world, as you can see, at the time that Jesus is born. And that's um, where Luke roots this part of his telling of the story of Jesus. And um, we're interested particularly in this part of that map. And uh, the events of today's um, verses take place um, mostly down at the bottom uh, in these two dots which represent Bethlehem and Jerusalem and um, at the top there you can see um, Nazareth over in Galilee. Um, These were ruled slightly separately under 
uh, at the time. So um, down at the, um, at the bottom, you've got what they call Judea, and at the top, you've got Galilee. Um, and the Romans had split off Samaria in the middle into another um, district. Anyway, geeky history stuff. Main thing is these are 90 miles apart, and um, uh, this is interesting when you see what happens in uh, the text. So um, Luke set the historical context. The Romans are ruling, and um, very much like um, poor old Thomas Cook, um, the uh, Jewish people at this time are waiting for a bailout. Um, they are looking to the future where someone will come and that person will rescue them uh, from the Roman rule. Um, they have a word for this person. Um, that name is um, the Messiah. And um, the Messiah will bring a kind of bailout. And gosh, I, all the animations I thought I deleted are still there. Uh, they, they, this, this Messiah person kind of channels all these different people from history. Um, so Saul and David and the priests, kings, prophets, and even Cyrus, who was a, a, gen, a, you know, a foreign king, are called Messiahs, anointed ones. But they're all pointing forward to the Messiah. So all these people have been saviors in some kind of way to the people of Israel, but they're no patch on the Messiah who's coming. And so um, we're going to look at um, just some highlights from th this chapter that kind of show how um, Luke is setting up to tell us that Jesus is this long-awaited hero, this long-awaited saviour, this Messiah. So... We know that Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem for this registration. And it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth. Just a few little words there to describe quite a lot that went on in the life of Mary at that moment. She gave birth. Any mums in the place will know that three words doesn't quite do it justice. Um, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him up in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the in guest room. People don't know how to translate that word exactly at this point. But we see this and we start to go, Christmas is here. And uh, we start going to Christmas mode. We start thinking about all the things that might... Um, uh, come up in a nativity scene, we've got our wise men, we've got our angels, we've got our shepherds, we've got all this going on. And um, we might miss the actual point that Luke's trying uh, to make. And in fact, some people have missed the point completely. Anyone know who this gentleman is? Yay, Stephen Fry. I actually love Stephen Fry. Um, he's one of my favourite presenters on TV, and um, whatever his beliefs might be, they might not match up with mine, but I think he's quite a lot of fun to watch. And QI... Um, this program that he presented for a, quite a number of years um, is quite fun. It's supposed to be a fact um, program where they dive into myths and they dissect them and they say, actually, no, these are the facts about something. And um, I've actually been to see a live recording of QI um, with a couple of friends of mine, and it's, it's quite fun. And you just see how professional he is um, when he leads um, the teams through um, their hour or so of filming. And... Um, he did a, a Christmas special a number of years ago in which he said, 
Well, this story of, of Jesus um, being born in December 25th on a manger and things like that, it's not quite as unique as you might think. He said, there are some people who will tell you that there's someone else who was called a saviour, was sent to the earth to live as a mortal, who enabled sinners to be reborn, etc., etc., etc. You've got December 25th, virgin in there, born in a manger, attended by shepherds, known as life of the world, had 12 disciples. And it wasn't Jesus he was talking about. It was the Roman god uh, Mithras, or Mithra. And I can imagine someone watching this on TV and thinking, really? Oh gosh, I wonder if the Christians stole some of their ideas about Jesus from this Mithra guy. And, uh, and that is what some people have claimed. If you go on the internet, you'll find a lot of people talking about it in the kind of forums where people like to argue about things like this. And... Um, well, it's an interesting thing for some people to debate on the internet. It turns out, if you go and look at the actual information about the god Mithras, you know, as opposed to the internet, you will find out virtually none of that's true. In fact, the original sources um, that we have um, from the um, acolytes, or whatever they were called, of the god Mithras wrote the following. Yeah, that's not a mistake. That's what they wrote. <laughs> there is nothing from the ancient world written by the followers of Mithras that describes their worship practices or their beliefs. So quite where um, QI and his investigators got that from is uh, it's a bit of a mystery. Um, it's probably one of the so-called historians who wrote in the 18 or 1900s um, who liked to come out of conspiracy theories like this. Um, but there's really nothing in it. What we do know about the followers of Mithras is basically um, that they built a few worship centres around, quite a few around, in the first century, um, which are called Mithraea, and they're kind of in the shape of a cave, and um, they have in carvings and engravings in there, and they have also things like lists of the people who were members of these cults. And um, these people, these members, were all men, and the names are all male, and um, so this is how I would sum up their religion. Um, it's, it's going to be nothing like what we read in Luke. It's really nothing like it. Um, quite why you'd think that Christianity has any history in that cult is quite beyond me. In fact, we'll see that far from being no women allowed, actually women feature really strongly, particularly in Luke's narrative. Case in point... After the shepherds, I'm sorry I had to cut them because there wasn't just time for them. So if they're your favourite characters, I do apologise. They'll, they'll come back at Christmas time, I assure you. But after the shepherds have visited and they've told Mary that they've seen angels and it, that um, they've told them about Jesus, Mary says, she treasures up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I think this is a lovely little moment just in, in this passage here that gives... I think a really strong clue that Luke may have had sources very, very, very close to Mary, if not having met Mary himself. Because this is not the kind of information or detail that you would get from anywhere else. I think he's actually either spoken to her or a member of her family. In fact, we do know in Acts that he has spoken to James, um, one of Jesus' brothers, so maybe he got it from there. But it's, really, it's, a, it's a personal detail, and it comes from the life of this lady, who is quite astonishing. Oh, there's the temple, just got ahead of me there. 
So, after Jesus is born, there's a moment where, or any baby is born in, in, uh, in uh, the Jewish world at that time, you have to go to the temple to be purified afterwards. And uh, Luke says that when the time came for that purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice according to what it says in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's an interesting detail there, just at the end, that, that thing about the doves or pigeons, because in Leviticus, um, it says when you come to the temple to give your offering, um, that you're supposed to bring a lamb, and it says, actually, if you can't afford a lamb, then you bring the doves or the two pigeons. This is giving another personal insight into the lives of Mary and Joseph at this time. They're not affluent people. They're coming into this amazing affluent place. That's a model of what it might have looked like. Um, uh, but they are only able to bring a couple of pigeons. So there you go. That's where it is in Leviticus 12. You need to look that up later. So as they were um, in uh, the temple at this time, it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Another aside here, the Holy Spirit makes a lot of cameo appearances in um, Luke's Gospel. Um, and we think of the Holy Spirit being the, the, the big arrival in Acts, but all the way through Luke, if you look, you, you'll see it in pretty much every single chapter, the Holy Spirit's going, hello, it's me. Um, so Holy Spirit had revealed um, to him, to Simeon, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, which means Messiah, anointed chosen one. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So here we see that first hint that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, this saviour who is going to come and transform um, Israel. Although if you look in there, Simeon's telling us that it's not just Israel who's going to be affected. A bit more on that later. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Again, I think this is the kind of detail that you wouldn't get if Luke had not had a source really close to Mary. Again, it's just something really personal that Simeon has he said the, the, the prayer of praise and thanks to 
everybody, but then he's come alongside to Mary and said to her directly this little extra bit of information here. I think it gives us a really good um, indication to trust Luke with these details. He really knew what he was talking about. But but look at what um, Simeon's actually said to Mary there. He's saying that this saviour who is coming, this Messiah, is not going to bring the kind of salvation they've seen before. There's something that's going to be really poignant, really emotive about this um, uh, this Messiah, this salvation. It's not going to be the triumphant sort of political victories that they've been used to, where kings have come and by force of um, uh, you know, military power have saved Israel. This time it's going to be something slightly different, and it's going to affect hearts, and it's going to impact on, on Mary's own um, personal um, relationship with God, her own soul. This is the deepest part of her. That's what that word is referring to there. Something's going to touch her deeply. And we see hints of that even just in the rest of this chapter, which I'm not going to be going into, um, where they bring Jesus to the temple and he stays there even when his parents have left. There's something about the that um, prophecy, I think, that Simeon's giving there that gets enacted out right in the same chapter. And then later on, you, you think of it again where um, Mary comes with um, Jesus' brothers and sisters and tries to, to get him out of the place where he's preaching because they're worried he's actually acting very, very strangely. They're not seeing what they kind of expect. But um, Luke's setting this up. He's saying, this, this Messiah, this Saviour, will not be what you expect And Luke continues, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, uh, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I, I just love this detail that Luke's recorded here. He's gone really into depth um, on this woman's background. He, he seems to have really done his homework here. He knows everything about her, um, her personal life, where she's come from, and what she's doing, and. She seems quite an astonishing um, lady, um, to be honest, um, to have had just seven years of marriage um, before her husband sadly passed away, and then to have just dedicated herself um, to God and wanting to be in his presence um, from then on. We don't know much about her life um, other than these things here, Um, but that word prophetess at the beginning indicates that, I don't know, it seems that being around in God's presence has rubbed off on her. Um, she is able to speak words from God to people, um, and that's given her that, that recognition of that title of, of prophetess. Um, just contrast that to this cult of Mithras, this uh, kind of mysterious men hiding in caves, um, and just see what a completely different religion Christianity is. It's, it's not comparable at all. You know, God is welcoming people from 
all um, backgrounds. He's welcoming old people, young people. He's got men, he's got women. And he, in his amazing salvation, is not just focusing in on one nation, because most gods were sort of local you know, nation gods. No, God is saying, I'm the God of all nations. This is completely unexpected. Even, you know, the Jewish... Um, people were expecting that the nation of Israel would be the focus of the Messiah's work. That's where he would do his work. He would do his salvation for the nation of Israel because they were the people of God. But even in the Old Testament, all the way through, God has been really clear. The nation of Israel is to be a light to the other nations. It's never his blessing just for them alone. It's always that it might flow out through them into the rest of the world. God is not coming to just um, rescue uh, one particular geographic area. And, and that hasn't been clear up till now in history. And Luke is saying, from now on, look at what God is doing. He's opening it up in a big way, but he's also focusing it in. So this salvation uh, comes out of the nation of Israel to all the nations, welcoming all the world in, but it also goes right into the heart of every single individual who's welcomed in. It's going to bring the whole nations, it's going to bring the whole churches uh, together and make a massive gathering, but it's also going to be something that it reveals what's in our hearts. This salvation needed to be for a people, for the church of God, but it also, God's salvation needs to save you and me and every single individual. There's something of it that's bigger and wider than anything that they've seen uh, before. And I think that needs us really nicely into communion. I'm so glad we've got um, that today. Because as we take communion, we're remembering that uh, Jesus ultimately suffered and gave his body and his blood for us. And that's us as the church of God. It is that encompassing uh, thing. All of us um, represent um, that massive church of God that's going to be all nations. But also as we take communion as well, it's our individual Salvation. It's our own history that we remember that God came and saved me and he saved you and he brought us into one family. So I'm really grateful to, um, and to Luke for what he's recorded here. And um, I've only been able to take out those, those little snapshots, those little highlights from, from this chapter. But if it's something you want to explore uh, in more depth, you can get into that, that reading yourself. And uh, one of the things that I found really helpful to walk through with um, was this book here. Um, there are lots available, but this one is from uh, Tom Wright, um, Luke for Everyone. Stefan's already mentioned it. Um, but I actually have a copy here that I don't need. I've got a digital copy, so this paper copy can uh, go to anyone who's interested in reading through it in more depth and then maybe passing it on to someone else. Uh, after they've had a look through. So maybe just come and, come and see me at the end if you're a kind of person who says, I, yeah, I'd like to get into that in a bit more depth and, and have someone walk through it with me. Um, having said it's more in depth, it's not scary. It's not academic language. There's nothing in there that you wouldn't understand. Um, in fact, he kind of points out a lot of things that you kind of do know and he makes you feel really good about it. So um, it's the kind of thing that I think most, most of us will be quite happy to go through um, with that. 
So is that right? I'm going to leave it there, and we're going to go into communion and um, actually act this out our, ourselves. But um, yeah, just, just think of that. God has brought salvation through Jesus for all, for all nations, but also for you as an individual. And there are hints of that in, in what we've just read um, in Luke. Amen. Amen.